0: 3rd 2018 edition of learning well on edge blog talk radio learning well is sponsored by the integrative health education center at normandale community college in minneapolis minnesota i'm your host elise Marquam johns and i'd like to take this opportunity to wish you and your loved ones a very happy and healthy Fourth of July holiday. We hope our monthly conversations on this program will add to your health and wellness by providing interesting and practical information for you and your family and friends as you pursue your health and wellness journey in the coming months. Tonight's guests, Nancy O'Brien and Linda Segu, are co-founders of Experience Happiness. Through their organization, they help people and organizations thrive through happiness. They offer the happiness practice to empower leaders to proactively cultivate individual and organizational happiness, while measuring return on happiness at the individual, team, and organizational levels. The happiness practice has proven to simultaneously reduce stress and burnout increase happiness and build engaged high performance cultures of well-being that are strategically empowered to attract retain and optimize talent. Nancy and Linda will be with us in just a few moments to tell us more about their work. Some of the other outstanding leaders and innovators in the field of health and wellness who will be joining us over the next several months on Learning Well include Jamie Bothorp, who will be with us next month for our August 7th program. Ms. Bothorp struggled with debilitating symptoms for many years and finally was able to determine that her thyroid was the issue. When she switched to natural desiccated thyroid in 2002, her life changed dramatically. From that process came her website and book, Stop the Thyroid Madness. Our September 4th guest will be Dr. Robin Smith. Dr. Smith is a global thought leader in the regenerative medicine industry, which is one of the fastest-growing segments of modern-day medicine. She is a business leader, entrepreneur, doctor, philanthropist, and co-author of the book Cells Are the New Cure, which covers some of the most exciting and leading-edge developments in medicine. Joining us on October 2nd will be Dr. Douglas Fields. Dr. Fields is a neuroscientist and an international authority on brain development, neuron glia glia interactions, and the cellular mechanisms of memory. He's also the author of The Other Brain and the book Why We Snap. And on November 6th, Dr. Michael Finkelstein will be our guest. He's a founder and executive director of the Slow Medicine Foundation and founder and medical director of Sunraven, which is a holistic wellness center located on a farm in Bedford, New York. We are indeed fortunate that Learning Well programs are archived, so if you wish to explore past conversations with such leaders in the field of health and wellness as best-selling author Dr. Michael Roizen of the Cleveland Clinic, holistic cardiologist Dr. Joel Kahn, Dr. Michael Gregor, author of How Not to Die, or Annie Brandt, cancer survivor and author of The Healing Platform, please feel free to browse the archived Learning Well programs. All of our programs, as well as others, can be found by Googling Edge Blog Talk Radio Learning Well Archives and scrolling down to the name of the guest that you'd like to hear. So we hope you and other family members and friends will take advantage of these archives to listen to some conversations that can be valuable to you before nancy o'brien and linda sake join us i wanted to share with you just a little bit of information about the integrative health education center at normandale community college in minneapolis minnesota Some of you, I'm sure, are aware that Normandale's Integrative Health Education Center provides the largest selection of holistic health and wellness classes, workshops, and certification training in the entire Midwest. The courses are designed for health professionals, healing practitioners, as well as individuals who are interested in simply furthering their knowledge in the areas of health education, and integrative healing practice. Normandale's primary goal is to build a bridge between dynamic instructors and lifelong learners who are all passionate about enriching their lives, helping others, and making a positive impact in the world. And here's just a short list of course offerings that will be offered at the Integrative Health Education Center this coming fall. There will be certificate programs and practitioner training in the fields of Ayurveda, aromatherapy, energy medicine, herbalism, holistic nutrition, healing touch, Reiki, simplified EFT, hypnosis, and numerology. And in addition to these certificate programs and practitioner training programs, there are also a wide variety of body, mind, and movement classes, including yoga, mindfulness, sleep, Feldenkrais, uh, Tai Chi, Spring Forest, Qigong, among others. And the newest offerings that will be added to the integrative health education schedule include the 30-day happiness practice, which we'll learn more about in today's program with our guests nancy and linda for the convenience of those who wish to explore these classes they are offered all year round during the days many weekends and most evenings to accommodate busy schedules so if you'd like more information or to register for any upcoming classes you can reach the integrative health education center at normandale by calling 952-358-8343 Or you can simply go online to normandale.edu forward slash CE forward slash classes and browse the course catalog. We're delighted to have as our guest tonight, Nancy O'Brien and Linda Sagu, co-founders of Experience Happiness. Nancy is passionate about researching, developing, and sharing innovative tools to enhance and measure well-being. Prior to creating the Happiness Practice, Nancy spent years on the leading edge of massive innovation and change while serving on the IBM Change Team to transition the global business from manufacturing to services. She's also shared her deep experience, design and management expertise with many clients by helping them develop and implement important strategies. Linda brings powerful strategic and creative expertise to the business of cultivating happiness. She's co creator of the happiness practice and continues to research and develop transformational programs to help people, teams, and organizations thrive. A noted writer, speaker, and entrepreneur, Linda has a wealth of experience with such companies as Chase, JP Morgan, Cargill. Best Buy, 3M, Ecolab, and other Fortune 500 organizations, where she consulted on business strategy, branding, customer experience, cross-enterprise collaboration, as well as many other strategies. Nancy and Linda, it's a pleasure having you with us tonight. Welcome to Learning Well.
1: It's our pleasure, Elise. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Elise. You're
0: You're welcome. And you two are co-founders of Experience Happiness and the Happiness Practice. And I think I'm curious, and I think our listeners would be curious to know, how did the happiness, excuse me, how did Experience Happiness and the Happiness Practice actually come to be?
2: Well, thank you for um, asking us that question, because
0: it is is
2: interesting. Um, You know, Linda and I are... Not unlike any other kind of innovator and entrepreneur, we build a solution for ourselves. Um, When we met, we were actually um, working at competing consulting organizations, and a gentleman who we were um, were pursuing business at an organization here in Minneapolis, and the gentleman met Linda, and then he met me, and he said, I'm not going to talk to either one of you until you guys meet. You're we meant to do something wonderful together. So um, it took us a while to, to actually meet for lunch because we were very busy. We were b- busy being human doings, doing, you know, doing all the right things and having really purpose-driven careers, but we needed to get um, the ride for a little bit. So as friends, we started just exploring this whole notion of, of kind of well-being and and happiness, because what we found ourselves um, really when we took a deep interior view is we had done everything right, and if the Gallup Well-Being Index would have been out at the time, which it wasn't, we would have been scoring well on all five indicators, (laughs) social well-being, community, you know, purpose-driven work, health, you know, and whatnot, but we were not thriving. Something was missing. And that's when we looked at each other as, as friends and said, you know, the self-help books aren't doing it. Um, and Linda had, had, um, had three dogs, so she was actually um, scoring high on, on all sorts of well-being tactics, if you will. Um, but we really needed to step back and say, "Maybe, maybe we're looking at the wrong definition of happiness. Maybe instead of it being out there in the next job, in the next relationship, in the next home, uh, in the next grades that come home, you know, in our children's hands, maybe it's an inside job. And thus, we started really for our own well-being and healing to look at a new definition of happiness. And so, the definition of happiness that we use at Experience Happiness for all our solutions is this that happiness is our innate ability to locate and amplify both our serenity and our excitement about life, regardless of outside forces.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. And
2: and that journey began about 11 years ago.
0: And yet, so as I understand it, it took a lot of planning background research before you actually launched your work. Um, so uh, for our listeners, and I, I want to get more into that that whole planning process that you did, but for our listeners, I think it would be helpful. Could you just describe the happiness practice? And do you work with companies, individuals, or both? Give us the overview, if you will. Of
1: course. Well, the happiness practice is uh, as Nancy just mentioned so beautifully, it, you know, at the center is this definition of happiness that is not, a, it's about this innate deep okayness, regardless of outside forces. And one thing that we always emphasize, Elise, is that this is not about manufactured positivity. We have to learn how to unpack what's going on uh, so that we can accept the totality of our emotional data if you will. Um, So THP is, you know, we we want to see then, okay, if you're aiming for that kind of happiness, then what types of principles can you learn, can you practice in your life that actually helps you cultivate more and more of that, reduce your stress see your happiness and the byproducts of happiness increase on a moment by moment, day-to-day basis? And so, THP, shortened for the happiness practice, is a set of five interrelated principles that build upon one another. As people learn these practices or these principles, it really is kind of like developing a personal toolkit. And you can use these tools alone or in combination with one another as you move throughout your life. And the happiness practice is designed not to be another thing to do, but to ultimately take advantage of neuroplasticity, build new, you know, and allow new neural pathways to develop so that it actually becomes a way of being. And that doesn't take as much reminding, it doesn't take as much energy to do. So the five principles are this. The first principle is to be conscious. And in THP, that means being simultaneously aware of what you're doing and how you're feeling. And why is that important, you might ask. Well, you wouldn't fly a jet airplane without the radar turned on, without the instrumentation turned on. But when you're not connected into your emotional data, and all it is is data, it cannot hurt you, it's just data, comfortable and uncomfortable, you really don't have the information you need to navigate through your life and get to that next conscious decision. And we all know that a happy life, we know this intuitively, that a happy life is built one conscious decision after another. People practice for 30 days. And then they are prepared to move into honoring feelings. And in THP, honoring feelings is the opposite of launching into drama. It's about expanding the emotional lexicon, past good, fine, busy. all those words that we throw around so often, and really delving into what's going on at an emotional level and using that data to inform requests of self and others. Because if we have a feeling or, or an emotional state that is hanging around with us for a long time and is pretty persistent, we probably have a request. So it takes some time to identify requests that can be clean, forwarding, compassionate, and if you can get to your clean forwarding compassion request, you're probably ready to communicate it. And oftentimes, people in practice find out that you know, their feelings are really their data, and that 95% of the time, uh, they're the ones who need to know how they feel. Not everybody needs to know that data. It's yours to work with. Another 30 days of practice. Then people are ready to move into this wonderful principle of releasing control to be empowered particularly in Western civilization, so many of us grew up with the messaging that the more control we have, the more valid we are as human beings. And the reality is that control is an illusion. We can't control our outside forces. We can't control the behaviors um, and the decisions of other human beings. And when we buy into that illusion, we become what we call happiness hostages, with our well-being really contingent upon what's outside of us and when we can let go of really what's not ours we take back that energy we take that back that power and we're able to care for and tend to ourselves because as Nancy will always say me myself and I I'm a full-time job uh, <laughs> this is when we see people <laughs> when we see people in their data right there if they've been fatigued for example, This is where we see their fatigue levels go down and their energy levels go up, because they're taking back that energy, they're reclaiming it, and that's how letting go empowers us. Another 30 days of practice, then they move into principle four, which is co-create what works now. This is about really learning some practices and some steps to release this notion of right and wrong, to drop judgment at the door and to learn how to co-create with others, to really allow them to go first and hear their perception. Hey, what's working? What's not working? To do some appreciative inquiry, and ultimately once everybody's put their thoughts and feelings into the table, into the middle, then really dealing with the question, okay, what works now? Because what worked 10 months ago, 10 years ago, may not be the thing that works today. And we find that this really opens up new possibilities, new pathways for relationships, new uh, innovations for teams and organizations. Another 30 days of practice, they are ready then to move into the fifth and final principle, which is to learn life lessons. And in THP, a life lesson is just a belief that you hold about yourself or the world, others, that just no longer serves you. It may have served you before, but it doesn't belong in your happiness garden anymore. It's just casting a shadow on the joy you want to cultivate. So the opportunity is to kind of do that inventory of the personal belief system, pull the belief like a weed, and plant a new one in its place very deliberately, and then to act, to feel, to behave from that new belief, so like a seed, it can begin to germinate. So those principles work together. People learn them, and they they can be learned individually, right? They can be learned in group. They can be learned in organizations. Um, you know, we teach this a whole variety of ways because this is a human thing. Even if you're learning it at work, it was, it's still a human thing. And then all of that is powered by our measurement system, which is called return on happiness. And we're always looking at um, the reduction of signs and symptoms of stress and burnout, which are physical, they're emotional, they're behavioral. And also increases in happiness and its byproducts, for example, happy people are just naturally more resilient, they're naturally more innovative, they're naturally more sustainable. So we're looking at those measures and helping people understand individually and collectively how this transformation is taking hold in their lives and how it's changing their outcomes.
0: As you were talking, I couldn't help but think, oh, my gosh, I wish this were available not only to corporations, but just to a wide variety of in social service agencies, et cetera. Um, I'm just curious. Um, tell me a little bit more about the research that you did, because I also couldn't help but think, as you spoke, about aren't some people just genetically predisposed to be happier than others, what did you find in your research, and, and how do you deal with those kinds of differences in people?
2: Yeah, so thank you, Elise, for asking that question. You know, as we were doing our research, and you know, we too found that the the studies that that demonstrated that there's a there's a percent of people who are kind of naturally um, predisposed to being more happy than others, and then our genes play a factor, but and so do our circumstances. But the, the research that was really the, the tipping point for us was the 2013 World Happiness Report that is sponsored by the United Nations. Um, in 2011, the first happiness, World Happiness Report came out, and it comes out every two years. But in 2013, I, I really, I still, ha- I'm, I'm just amazed at how these co-authors did this, but they looked at 1,500 Happiness and subjective well-being studies that were um, conducted around the world and they consolidated those findings um, the whole report is about 300 and you know 30 some pages long but on pages 58 and 59 they summarize the impact of happiness and you know it was it was just so phenomenal because they actually had studies that say if you're happy Physically, you'll have less inflammation, and inflammation is really the seed of very a number of diseases. Happy people um, actually earn more money. Happy people actually behave better at home and at work. Happy people have the ability to be more innovative and and resilient to change, as Linda was saying. So it was really helpful to be able to have um, that work Um, really at the beginning of our work and what we um, set out to do was to take the mystery out of creating this authentic inside-out happiness Um, so with that we said well if happiness is this ability to locate and cultivate serenity and excitement how would we go about doing that so Linda just walked you through the five principles. So we first developed those five principles, and with each principle, we actually take the mystery out of doing that. So for each principle, such as be conscious, there's three steps to practicing being conscious. We do the same thing with principle number two, honor feelings. There's three steps on, on how to honor feelings in ways that are hoarding and compassionate to ourselves and others. And, You know, first and foremost, we ourselves engaged in the practice. And our friends started saying, hey, what's going on? Because you guys just, like, seem better, right? And um, they said, you know, we'd like like to, you know, do what you're doing. So that started the journey of bringing the happiness practice into yoga studios and church basements and a few hockey rinks. Uh, you know, along the <laughs> way, because that's what... You're in Minnesota, after Minnesota. all. Exactly. Right. Um, and, and lo and behold, um, other people found that the happiness practice, you know, helped them as well. And one of our, our friends who learned THP in the yoga studio came to us one day and said, you know, this happiness practice saved my marriage. And it also made me a better leader. And I think everyone on my team would benefit from the happiness practice. Will you bring it into our organization? So, um, of course, we said yes. And um, that's when we really started to amplify our return on happiness measurement system because Lynn and I are very committed to measuring what matters to the organization. Um, And again, since the happiness practice is not another work program or a thing to do, Rather, it cultivates a new way of being. You know, it's really fun to work with an organization to say, So, if people were more innovative, what would change? How would that show up in your department? How would that show up in any of your key performance indicators that you have as an organization? And we ask the same question around resiliency and sustainability. And then we, um, you know, tailor the measurement system so that we're always tracking, you know, the shifts in individual behavior. Against um, organizational and departmental uh, measurements that matter.
0: I have to ask. I, I if would you, add. Oh, go ahead.
1: I would add to Louise. Um, in your question, you said you know it'd be so great to have this in social services setting, You know, maybe educational settings. We we want to do that. We agree. Great. Um, you know, we 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 have piloted with you know fifth graders, and it works with fifth graders. So, you know, we, we are open to all of that. And, you know, there are times, too, where you just have to kind of stay in your swim lane. Um, so we, we really, you know, concentrated the last few years in healthcare, But we're continuing to expand. And, you know, a lot of that is just about collaborating well with others.
0: Sure. Well, I can't imagine what an incredible difference it could make to teach this to children early on. I mean, downstream what the benefits might be to society as a whole could be amazing
1: mm-hmm. and when I the hear, kids go ahead, go ahead sorry
0: go ahead when the, i want to hear more the about kids the kids went, went, that'd be great
1: yeah well it was interesting um in the, there was a group of fifth grade boys that went through it and they said you know happy kids don't bully and what we're not getting in our current bullying programs are the tools for real internal transformation. And we need, get, we need to get back to self-love and self-worth, and these, these are the tools that actually help you to remain awake, to stay in a state of self-love, self-worth, and um, to, to really be in a state of wellness and well-being so that you don't act with violence, so that you don't bully. So I thought that was profound feedback from fifth graders. Yes.
0: Absolutely, and, and I'm curious. When you were doing all of this research, that took so long, were there any just sort of big surprises along the way that were sort of, oh my gosh, had no idea, or was it all pretty something? Pretty much what you were expecting?
2: Um, I think uh, that's such a great question, Louise. You know, um, I'm going to quote. Um, you know, a friend of ours, and, you know, it's, it's, it's fun because anybody that goes to the practice, they really, we do become friends with them. It's really quite exceptional. So we were doing some, um, uh, video testimonials for, with one of our clients here in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago. And I asked, I asked that question, what surprised you about the happiness practice? And one of the nurse leaders just said, it works. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) I really think you know when when Lynn and I you know kind of you know um, you know complete a, a session with with a with a group or even an individual and um, we get some feedback you know along the way and and you know people are so generous in, in sharing their stories of how THP helped them with a challenging relationship they had or. A, a, a challenging conversation they they needed to have, you know, at work or at home or a decision that they were looking at making. And, you know, the 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 look Lynn and I give each other is the look of, well who knew that this was going to work for like everybody, including those fifth graders that Linda was just talking about. Um, so if any of your listeners are in the education system, please please reach out to us. We would we would love to equip people of all ages. Uh, with the happiness
1: practice? I would add to to Nancy's perfect answer. I think the thing that surprised, one of the things that surprised us most was the compounding effect of happiness. Happiness is compounding. It's the best investment you can make if you're going to invest your energy, invest it in cultivating happiness. Not manufacturing positivity, cultivating real happiness. It was astonishing to see how it impacts people's personal lives. Their professional lives the, the 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 efficacy of teams the performance of organizations and the ability of those organizations to serve the people they are built to serve in a more profound way that actually impacts satisfaction and loyalty so you know we talk you know happiness is really good and it just you know creates permission for others to be happy and it, but, but when we got to our data, we could we could literally see the compounding effect.
0: Mm. You know, you referenced earlier the uh, World Happiness Report, which I guess in the most recent report rated Finland as the happiest country in the world, and the U.S. dropped four places from the previous year to the 19th position. And by the way, for our listeners who might be curious, Japan came in 54th, Russia came in 59th. China 86 and the world's unhappiest country was Burundi so I'm curious if from all the research you've done and the work you've, with you that you've done with individuals and organizations are there any conclusions that you've reached as to why the u.s happiness ranking continues to fall
2: you know um, we are we are not um, kind of social anthropologists however I I will venture a guess that, um, you know, the circumstances of which we are living in in the U.S. are very stressful. And um, it might be interesting to share with your listeners now that when we introduce people to THP, one of the first things we do is really... Ask them to try on this definition of happiness, that, you know, it's our innate ability to locate our serenity and excitement, regardless of outside circumstances. And we ask them to spend a few minutes identifying how they feel and how they behave when they are not serene and when they are not excited. And we give them a few minutes to, you know, just kind of jot their thoughts down. And then we share with them the 16 signs and symptoms of burnout. And at this point, there's kind of this audible gasp in the room. And a few brave souls might say, oh my gosh, what happens if I've got 12 of the 16 symptoms? And this is where we, even for the most skeptical people in the group, we can say, well, you could either come to burnout class or you can come to a happiness class. <laughs> and I share, that, I share that with you because, um, You know, Lynn and I, there isn't a day that goes by that we don't see the um, epidemic of burnout reaching really all fabrics of our society. Um, There's stress and burnout in schools. I mean, teachers now is um, considered one of the top five most dangerous professions. Mm. And there was a study out of Canada probably about four years ago that actually was able to measure that the more stressed out and burnout the teacher is, guess what happens with the kids? There's more behavioral issues, you know, there's um, performance impact and things like that. Because that ecosystem in the classroom, right, they're all feeding off of one each other. Sure. So, yeah, so the ranking is kind of interesting, right, that the World Happiness Report does. But I think for America, we, we have to take care of ourselves. You know, the outside forces are so great. You know there you know if, if you're dialed into the news you know it can be a little scary so what we have to do is take care of ourselves we have to get back to cultivating our own well-being and the well-being of our family you know and the communities of which we live and work and from that place create the new solutions that the world needs I would I would say too that you know in in America you know we, we work
1: work 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 Um, And one of the biggest things that just uh, brings us so much joy is when people realize that they can still work hard and engage in self-care simultaneously. Americans have not connected those dots maybe as well as they have in a place like Finland. Um, You can work hard and you can engage in self-care simultaneously.
0: You know, it's interesting. You should say that my daughter uh, spent a year or a semester abroad in Ireland a couple of years ago, and one of the things that she was just astounded by, she said, the, the the culture, the behavior is so much different there. She and that the way she put it was, you know, in this country we live to work instead of work to live, um, because in Ireland they they work to live, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it, it it was just such a she thought it was just such a profound difference in how, how they looked at life, um, which was a real eye-opener for her, <laughs> as, as for us, <laughs> when we talked about it further. And you indicated that these key tenets um, apply not only to our time at work, but also to our time at home and with our families and our relationships. Do you have any examples you can share with our listener on how these principles can work in both the workplace and at home? Any stories you can share?
1: Sure. Uh, We had a gentleman who was um, on, uh, he was a few months away from retirement. He worked in the security industry. And, you know, he's, he's sitting, he was, this was in a person to person delivery in a live delivery classroom. And, you know, he had a gun on and a Kevlar, Kevlar vest and a badge and plenty of stress. And um, in particular, you know, when when we he learned the principle on our feelings, you know, what's comfortable, what's uncomfortable right now, let's expand the emotional lexicon past okay, fine, busy, good. He came up to us one day and he said, you know, I am so excited about spending more time with my wife and actually being in retirement. And we said, well, you know, tell us more about that. And he said, well, He said, we have been fine and busy for 23 years. And he said, now that we both have this permission to honor our feelings and to expand our emotional lexicon, we identified, we kind of co-identified that we were a little bored, we wanted to have more fun, we needed more adventure. And um, we moved past fine and busy and we actually started to co-create together then you know, what what do we want to do together? And he said, We're having so much more fun because we're actually connecting on an emotional level. We're really we're really delving into that data and understanding what each other's needs are. And you know, this is just the burliest guy you could ever imagine. And it was so exciting to see him be so excited about the prospect of retiring with his wonderful wife because this whole expansion Of honoring feelings was opening throwing open new doors that they could step through together it was really unzipping a whole new a whole new life adventure or you You know know, we've had go ahead please go ahead Um, or we've had um, we've had you know people say I really sat down with my um, adult son and really owned my request. And I communicated them, not out of control, I communicated them in a clean, forwarding, and compassionate way, and paired it with how I was really feeling. And in an hour, what had been a really challenging relationship for the last five years, it just completely transformed. And I was modeling the behavior that I want my son to embrace, to be a healthy adult. And then, you know, you, you so you develop those habits at home. You know, you're, you're awake, you're connecting to yourself, you're building a better relationship with self so you can have a better relationship with others. Well, then when you bring that person to work, even if there is stress, there are messed up processes, you know, whatever it may be, uh, you transform how you show up, and people transform. They respond differently to you. So it just it's, it's compounding. It just gets better and better
2: and better.
0: It's interesting that you gave the example of the gentleman who was um, close to retirement, because living in the area I live, in Tucson, obviously I run into a lot of people who are recently retired. I'm fairly recently retired. And... One of the intriguing things that I've had conversations with other people who have said, you know, that first year after retirement is really tough. It's a tough transition period for an awful lot of people because their identity is so wrapped up in their work that they did for so many years. So I would think that would be another great cohort for you to be working with this, but helping people the year before they retire to make that transition because it, it, it can be a tough one for an awful lot of people. Yeah, we um, we
2: uh, look forward to partnering with AARP, you know, in the future. Yes, days.
0: absolutely, <laughs> or at least some articles in the magazine or something. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, you know, going back Well, and you, you
2: bring up an interesting point, Elise, because, the, you know, the practice, the practice helps us switch from being a human doing to becoming a human being and really looking at all aspects of our life experience in this kind of new state of curiosity about, well, you know, now that I understand that life isn't happening to me, but it's happening for me, you know, what are the possibilities sure you know what are my options you know what can I explore now about myself and others
0: and I'm curious about your work with corporations because I my assumption would be that if there's a toxic environment in a corporate setting that it often stems from the leadership at the top so I'm curious, can you work effectively with a company if you don't first get the buy-in from the president and senior management of a company? How does that work for you?
2: You
1: know, we're so fortunate because the organizations that we work with, the number one thing that they value is the, they, they understand strategically that their employees cannot give what they do, do not have. And they value well-being. Well-being is a priority. Uh, our our job is not to change someone's mind. If they are unwilling to invest in employee well-being, that's going to be a long road to hoe, and probably does not lead us anywhere. But you know, one of our heroes is um, Sir Richard Branson. You know, he'll just say, "Happiness is the." ultimate competitive advantage and if you have a happy company you um there's actually a direct quote i just used it the other day Um, if you have a happy company then you are you know you are unstoppable and it is it is the ultimate competitive advantage to have a happy healthy workforce because they will not turn over Uh, they will attract like-minded like-hearted top talent. And they will be delivering experience to to those they're, they're meant to deliver experience to those they're meant to serve in a really um, memorable, extraordinary way. So I remember. We go ahead. Go ahead, please. Uh, we, we do we do um, we do tend to um, work with leaders to really they they if they get those concepts, great. But we really work with them in the initial stages to help those concepts solidify. And one of the ways we do that is by helping them understand what what are you counting now? What are you measuring now? And how is that going to improve as a result of bringing this practice into the organization? And then they're always delighted and surprised to see things like, oh, instant reports decrease, decrease, or productivity increase. Whatever they're counting is actually impacted by happiness. Engagement, for example. Well, we got to increase engagement. Well, you know, if you want to increase engagement, then happiness is the ultimate strategy.
2: And I would add, Elise, um, that when we engage with a, uh, an organization, we're working with the senior um, leadership at the at the very beginning of this journey. And we really invite them to go through the happiness practice first like maybe just even a month ahead of their next rung of leaders. Because, you know, what they need to model the behavior, for one thing, right? Um, And then they also need to be on their own journey so they can anticipate this journey of transformation, you know, with their team and their staff. Because, you know, leaders know how to, you know, manage unhappy people, but, you've got to be able to um, develop leadership style styles, styles um, and methods and tools to manage happy people because the happy people are going to turn on the innovation in- engine and you've got to be ready for that
0: sure uh, you referenced early on when you were talking about the tenants of the program sort of a, a timeline for each of the tenants but Could you go a little bit more into how long it takes to unfold this process within a company and what's the minimum amount of time needed, what's the optimum amount of time needed, just sort of a a sense of the timeline for for your processes.
1: Thank you for that question. You know, the good news is that in totality, PHP only takes 500 minutes to learn. It's not a hard thing to learn. Um, The important thing is that people take up practice And that there's enough nudges to to help them do that and to remind them to do that and give them tips so they do that successfully. Uh, We always, you know, begin by, you know, teaching a principal, say in a 40, 45 minute session. And, you know, we do it live webinar so it, it can really fit into people's processes and the rhythms of their organization. And then, you know, we allow a couple weeks to pass, right? So people can just practice that particular principle. Uh, And we know, you know, it takes about 21 days, 30 days to make or break a habit. So there's that 30-day time frame after two weeks of, after learning, the learning session, then we have what we call a happiness huddle. And this is where people sharing is not mandatory, but they have the option to share their experiences, their observations, their learning what's shifting, and they can share that with with one another. And in doing so, they become teachers and students of one another. And a lot of interesting things go on in those huddles because people start to do team building without even knowing that they're doing team building. They're doing personal and professional development. As the huddles continue, they're, they're innovating. They're problem solving. And they are actually building morale. And discovering that as human beings they are much more alike than they are different so all those things are really exciting and that's just the rhythm of it you know we assess um, pre mid and post so people can understand how they're shifting what's going on in their journey what is happening with their stress or burnout levels their happiness levels and um, Really, you know, that that's the that's the rhythm of it. It's really gentle. It's a six month, it's a six month transformation. The cool thing though is by the time people have gone through it after six months, it's hardwired. So it's not curriculum, it's a practice. And at the at the end of six months, they got it. And now they have it for the rest of their life and it's sustainable. We and had a woman is- recently. We had oh, yeah. a woman recently, uh, about a year and a half post practice. She sent us an email out of the blue, and she said, "Considering everything that's going on in my life right now, I shouldn't be doing this well." And I realized <laughs> that I really am doing well. And, and she said, "I recollected back on it, and I thought, oh, it's all about this practice. It's all about this THP that I learned, and it's hardwired. It's like upgrading your your operating system from DOS into." you know, high Sierra. If you you switch from an old PC into a a high-powered Mac, you're going to have a completely different experience. You run differently.
0: And is this all done online, or is there personal interaction as well? How how do the different modalities play out?
2: You know, we work with the organization to um, integrate PHP, into the fabric of their organization in a way that works for them. Um, for organizations that have a highly distributed workforce, um, we are doing mostly online webinars you know, to equip people with the practice that might live in different time zones and different cities and don't have a chance to convene. If an organization has an opportunity to convene their people and, and want to do that you know, with THP, we do that as well. So it's really about you know working with the organization and understanding what works best for them. We also do one-on-one coaching of, of the practice, and you know after people go through the six-week practice, we are still with them. We will work with the um, leaders of the organization to figure out you know how we can drip in um, THP into the fabric of their culture and their organization. So. A simple example is in healthcare, if any organization's gone through the lean process, they, they probably have adopted daily huddles as part of their ritual. And so we'll work with with that with an organization to say, well, can there be a little two minute soundbite of the happiness practice in that daily huddle that is done, you know, in every department with every person in the organization every day?
0: And tell me, I know you've done a number of case studies. Could you share a little bit about one of your case studies with our listeners? Sure, I'd be happy
1: to. So Hennepin Healthcare is a level one trauma center here in Minneapolis. They are known for doing a wonderful job of serving the underserved. It's urban, a really tough environment. They had had a gang shooting right outside of the emergency department. People were not only burned out, they were traumatized. And the head of patient experience, chief nursing officer, and the head of um, the emergency department got a hold of us and said, "Okay, we're at a point where we've just got to do something. Come on in and let's see how this goes. We put 185 people through the practice. They worked in 20 areas that make up the ecosystem of the emergency department. So, everyone from nurses to chaplains to financial advisors to interpreters, lab you name it, they were going through THP. In six months across the board, their burnout went down on average by 22%, and their happiness went up 16%. Innovation, resiliency, sustainability went up around 19. We saw a 7% increase in employee engagement and a 5.3 uh, point increase, press gain increase in their patient satisfaction. And, you know, these are people doing truly challenging, mission-driven work. And what we discovered there is that it wasn't a lack of engagement at all. These people are actually very highly engaged. But you can be highly engaged and simultaneously burned out, and that's what's not sustainable. You know, th- there is no lack of caring down at Hennepin Healthcare, that's for sure. And they were at this time also in the emergency department operating a full 22 nurses short. Wow. So they've been, they've been able to maintain their, their patient satisfaction increase, and, you know, being in that environment, we also had the opportunity to work with uh, Dr. Mark Linzer, who is a world renowned expert on burnout. He really helped us to understand burnout. But it was really exciting to see a reliable intervention for people working in healthcare because Nancy and I are really of the mind that healthcare is a right and having a functional healthcare system, healthy people in the healthcare system. It's part of a backbone of a functional civilization. We need it to be a functioning society.
0: Well, I cannot believe how close we are to the conclusion of our conversation. It has gone so quickly. But just quickly, could you share with our listeners how they can best learn more about the work that you're doing?
2: Mm, yes, thank you, Elise. Oh, how quickly time flies when you're having Yes. <laughs> So um, come to our website, please. It's at experience happiness, all strung B I Z. And you can find our contact information there and a lot of information on the happiness practice and our other well being solutions. And we're, we entertain all questions and all conversations. So don't be shy about reaching out to us, please. Also follow us on social media, we're we're on Twitter, and we are on
1: LinkedIn as Experience Happiness, and we do put out tips, we um, put out education, we put out inspiration, because even if you're not, even if you don't know know THP, there's enough that we put out there that can maybe help you reframe some of your own stress, your own struggles, and um, you know, being unhappy is nothing to be ashamed of. It really is just about taking steps to examine, how do I cultivate more of this in my life? Because happiness is a birthright. Everyone is deserving.
0: You know, and after talking with the two of you, I'm sure hoping that there is a book on the horizon that uh, that may be coming out because I think this could be so valuable for so many people. Thank you both so much for our conversation this evening.
1: Thank you. You've Thank made you. us very happy, Elise. With-
0: And if if you have friends and family members who might find the information that we've talked about this evening regarding the Experience Happiness and the Happiness Practice Valuable, we encourage you to let them know about the archived edition of tonight's show so they can access this important information by listening to our program this evening. We'll always announce upcoming guests, by the way, on our program as well as future guests. Uh, and we'll also announce them each month in our monthly e-letter called Health e-Source. So if you'd like to receive this newsletter, you can sign up by sending an email to ncal at normandale.edu and simply ask to be a subscriber. And speaking of upcoming guests, please join us for our next program on Tuesday, August 7th, when Jamie Bothorpe will be with us to discuss thyroid issues and her amazing healing journey after years of health challenges. And in closing, I'd like to thank our guests, Nancy O'Brien and Linda Segu. And I'd also like to thank the Integrative Health Education Center at Normandale Community College for continuing their sponsorship of Learning Well. And I'd also like to thank you for taking time out of what I'm sure is a very busy schedule to join us this evening. So until our next opportunity to get together, please stay well. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office.